Welcome to Living the Dream Acting the Podcast. A podcast for actors, by actors, about acting. And here's the host, Christina Kipper Halstead. Hi, I'm Christina, and on this podcast, I track down interviews with actors, writers, directors, and everyone involved in the performing arts from stage to screen. I cover getting started, not giving up, and inspiration for artists all around the globe who are taking action on living their dreams. On today's episode, we head to New York City to talk with television and film actor Brendan Patrick Connor. Please stick around for that while we do a little catching up. Some of you who have listened to the podcast before may have noticed that I changed the intro to artists who are taking action on living their dreams. As I was setting goals last year and started looking into what makes successful people successful, I really started to get an understanding of the importance of taking action. I know I have spent in my life way too much time thinking about and talking about things that I wanted to do instead of taking action on them. And I wanted the podcast to be more than just people telling their stories and, oh, let's talk about acting, but let's talk about what it really means to be an actor, one who acts, one who takes action, takes action on their dreams. I wanted to find out uh, about how they got from point A to point D, specifically how they got there. We all know what we think the height of success looks like, but that's not the only definition of success. And if it was, then many of us would never be able to say that we were successful in life. And for some people, they even reach those quote-unquote heights of success, and they still don't feel successful. They still don't feel like They know who they are, they know their place in the world, they feel empty inside. So I wanted to have larger conversations as well as we go on. Speaking of taking action, last year I went uh, to my first casting director workshop in Phoenix with Faith Hibbs-Clark of Good Faith Casting. Despite the lawsuits in LA last year, I wanted to see what Arizona had to offer. So um, just to give you an idea of the differences between a major market and a minor market, Arizona is considered a minor market for sure. And um, LA and New York, major markets, there are hundreds and hundreds of casting directors in those areas. In Arizona, there are only five casting directors total, only five. Anyway, I definitely felt like um, I walked away learning some techniques and tricks that I didn't know before, so I look forward to using them next time I'm auditioning for a film. And I also um, will probably go to some more just to see what else I might walk away with and in my actor's tool belt. I also went to Vegas to visit former podcast guest Janine Valentine from episodes three and four. I got to see her perform with the Shintas at the Plaza, where, by the way, she got a standing ovation from the audience after her 
beautiful operatic solo. And she has a new website and just released a new original single. So you can find both the links to both of those in the show notes. And on the last episode, I said I would talk about what I did in 2017 artistically or career-wise. So I'll just kind of run through that real quick. Basically, over the course of those 12 months, I did three play readings. I had a lead in a one act. I was a soloist in a cabaret. And I performed at a fundraising event for a local school in front of an audience of 750 people. Oh, and... And I directed a production of Parallel Lives. And then after that, I pretty much said, okay, (laughs) I need a break because I got a day job and I've got my kid and that's a lot of stuff going on. I need a little recovery time. So um, at the moment, I wanted to get the podcast going again. And also um, I wanted to start doing some writing. There are about five different projects that I'm working on right now that I really just wanted to have the time to do that as well as recover. Um, and I have, and I have some family obligations too that required my attention. So, so, you know, I was all, I was doing all of that while I was also mourning the loss of my uncle, um, my friend. And then I also lost a beloved pet who I had for 12 years. So it was a full, full, full year. All of that activity, performance and otherwise, was really good in some ways and really draining and difficult in others. But what I've come to learn at this point is that it's ultimately not about the difficulties or about making the difficulties stop. That's just life. Things happen. There's so much out of our control. It's really about my attitude and how I handle those difficulties that makes all the difference. It's a practice, a daily practice. Speaking of daily practice, one more thing I just started doing was I just started a 21-day meditation course a few days ago, actually, uh, that is being hosted by Oprah and Deepak Chopra through the Chopra Center. And uh, I think you can still jump into it if that's something you're interested in. But that's something else that I've recently learned is one of the cornerstones of many, many successful people. And I know it is definitely a stress reducer. So that in itself is totally worth it. Okay, so let's jump into part two of my conversation with Brendan Connor. If you missed part one, it is still available on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Uh, Brendan just appeared in the pilot episode of the new show Deception on ABC, which if you haven't seen it, you can still catch it on Hulu. And we have more fun in part two. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah. There, there have been points, uh, there have been year or two stretches where I haven't had a day job or I didn't need one. And I wouldn't. But for the most part, I, you know, I do. But, but during this whole time, uh, I was working. Uh, and yeah, commercials, and commercials are a big, it's a, it's a totally different game nowadays. But back then, you were able to make a lot of money doing, doing TV commercials, you know. Mm-hmm. You do one commercial and, you know, that could turn into $10,000, you know, or, yep. or sometimes more. 
So it was pretty, it was pretty great for a while. It's, um, it's, it's strange because I loved it. So I, I loved doing that comedy stuff so much and I loved, um, the life of it and I loved being in the clubs and I loved making people laugh and stuff. But the reality was is that it's, it's, it was a lot of work. It was tons of energy and tons of work. And I certainly don't think I would be able to do it at my age now. I think it's sort of a young man's game. Uh, it involved like, you know, like I said, we all kind of worked during the day. So we would get together at night, at, you know, at six o'clock and sit around and write for three hours or rehearse for three or four hours and rehearse until 10 o'clock at night and take the subway home and go work the next day. Or we'd have like a show at, you know, Catch a Rising Star, another comedy club, and we would have it at 11.30 on a Tuesday night. So, so I mean, just the thought of doing that at age 45 right now, just, I'm, I'm getting tired just thinking about it, but we would just, <laughs> yeah. you know, we would just happily do it. But it was a really a labor of love, but a labor. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of heavy lifting that, that goes into this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that. And like I said, the commercials started, um, in the, in the nineties. What happens is, you know, these commercial auditions are all during the day. They're not at night. So you have to have a job that accommodates this. And so fortunately I was lucky enough to have a job at a, another production company that uh, a friend of mine got me. And my boss at the time was, you know, he would say, you know, as long as you can finish everything, I don't care if you leave for an hour to go audition. Uh, That's and so I, yeah, so it was great. So I would go and I would shoot these things and, um, but I knew that like commercials weren't all that I wanted. So now, to go back to what we were talking about, like, now I kind of saw, like, a way to, now I'm actually making money doing this. And I, I saw this, maybe, maybe I could go a little further with this. Maybe I could push this and maybe I could do this until 30. <laughs> and, uh, and so I decided I wanted to branch out and do TV and film work. And so, did you, um, how did you, I mean, what brought you to that decision? You just had been sort of in, sort of on the outskirts of the industry and, and thought, hey, this, this feels like the, the right next step or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, no one, no one becomes an actor because they want to do sneakers commercials. Right. You know? right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll do them. I'll happily do them. Yes. But, uh, you know, I wanted to be uh, on a TV show or a movie or something. Mm-hmm. And I never thought it would even be possible, but but now I'm kind of getting closer to it at this point. So, uh, so geez, I just started auditioning for stuff through this manager, and um, um, well, the, the, the funny thing is, the first the first commercial I ever auditioned for. I booked. It was the first commercial I ever went out for, and I got it. And just to tell you how long ago this was, it was a commercial. It was a commercial for Advil, I think, and it was produced specifically for the final episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I did that. I was just watching his, um, you know, he's got a couple of things on Netflix right now. Besides yeah. the comedians and cars with coffee, he's got, he's in a couple, um, documentaries, you know, about him going back on stage. And yeah. now that he, do- he doesn't need the money, he just, he just needs to be a stand up comedian. So he's still <laughs> working out bits and figuring out, you know, what, uh, you know, what he's working. Is this the one where he sits on the spot where he decided to be a stand-up comedian? Yeah, yeah, so there's that one. Yeah. And then there's another one. He's in, like, someone else's, too, but that was the one that was about him that I think he produced, yeah. That he started yeah. out for where he, at the very first theater he started out on, his small, right. old, dank, you know, comedy yeah. club in New York. Yep. <laughs> Listen, and, and, like, to what you were just saying, like, Jerry Seinfeld does not need to ever set foot on a stand-up comedy stage ever again in his life. Right. But he lo- but he loves to do it. And yeah. you know it's yeah, it's not about money. It's it's that he needs to do it for other reasons. You know. Because he's, exactly. he's an artist. Yeah. Exactly. It's kinda cool, you know, like, it's yeah, great. I think so too. I have a lot of res- a lot of respect for him. I mean some people sometimes you watch T V and you think to yourself, like why like why is this T V star doing um you know, you know, like a, a pharmaceutical commercial. Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. Why am I seeing this? But with him, you know, he's just kind of doing what he loves, which is which is what we all, what we're all aspiring to. Exactly. So, so you had an Advil commercial, and it was part of the, the during the season finale of Seinfeld. That's right. And I thought, I thought, wow, everything's this easy. It's the first one, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> But I learned uh, my lesson the hard way. So I think the first TV, believe it or not, the first TV show I had from audition for, I booked that too. It was like a, it was a TV show starring, um, <laughs> starring Oliver Platt. No, yeah. It was called, I can't remember the name of it, but um, I played like a hoodlum or something like that. And again, I said, oh, this is easy. No, I just go in there. But I, I started to, uh, you know, started to audition sale. But I wound up like, over the, over the course of like, uh, like two or three years, I wound up doing a lot of the TV shows in New York City. I did like, One Order and, uh, uh, Sex in the City. I was on Sex in the City and a lot of these TV shows. And, um, at the time, this is in the, like the, early 2000s, there was only about 12 or 15 TV shows that were produced in New York City. Um, and I had done, you know, five or six of them. And so my manager, the same person, was pushing me to try to go to Los Angeles for pilot season. Um, now, wait, so you had this manager. Did you also have an agent? Or was she kind of acting? She was kind of handling both roles. Well, for... Um, for TV commercials, you have to have an agent, but, but she got me an agent. Okay. You know, she, so the manager got me a commercial agent. Mm-hmm. And I, I think at this point, I was just relying on her to get me uh, TV auditions, TV and cell auditions. I did not have a New York agent. She was just kind of... Um, she was your doing aunt. It. Yeah, now the roles of agents and managers has evolved since then. And it's, uh, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it also depends on whether you're in New York or Los Angeles. Like those roles are different. Um, it's just all complicated. But uh, 
But at that point, she was sending me out to New York. And like I said, I booked a TV show called Third Watch, which was, uh, you know, like an ambulance yeah. show. I did that one. So the, the idea was, all right, well, now I think you should go out for pilot season. Which, uh, it starts in January and it generally goes until you know, May or so. So I just kind of made a decision. A friend of mine and I kind of talked each other into it that we were going to go. This is 2003. Mm-hmm. We're going to go uh, to Los Angeles for pilots. You know. And 13 years later, I was still there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you didn't have a, again, no no real plan. Like, I'm moving to L.A. and I'm going to settle down and make this. It was kind of, it was the next stumble. <laughs> this, this, are you sensing a theme? It was really no. I mean, yeah, I was kind of just falling into things. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, Give me the wrong impression. I was pretty ambitious. And again, I worked really hard. Like, I worked. I was also in New York. I was doing, I don't want to skip this. During this whole thing, after kind of my sketch comedy stuff broke up, I was doing tons and tons of theater in New York City, off off Broadway. Uh, I, man, I did 10, 12 plays, most of which weren't particularly good. Um, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't highly recommend that also. If you have the time and the energy and the bandwidth, you should just do any, I don't want to say do any theater that's handed to you, but like, uh, and I, I wish I was able to do more of it now, but, but, you know, my, 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 uh, my default answer, if someone wanted me to do a play back then, was yes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, I know it might have come later, but uh, I would I would just kind of I would go from play to play to play, bad bad bad. But eventually you get a good one, right? Yes. Or you know, or you're in a bad one, but you meet a guy who's doing a good one, and they need someone, and now you're in another good one, right? Uh, and so I met just a whole network of actors and artists and directors by doing this, and. Um, you know, a lot of people that I still work with and stuff. And actually, you know, I don't want to leave out, this is kind of ties into say you're my common, uh, uh, the college we went to, but, uh, I was also writing, I'm trying to not leave anything out, I was writing a lot of things, and I wrote a play with these two friends of mine that I used to do comedy with, and it was called Who Killed Woody Allen? Mm-hmm. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, it was kind of it's a long story as to what the history of it is. But basically, it was set uh, at Woody Allen's funeral. And it was like a celebrity done it. And Christina, it was kind of inspired uh, a bit by uh, Murder on the Orient Express, oh, which was yeah. a play. <laughs> <laughs> I still was love a play. That, that play. Man. Yeah, you were you were so funny, so funny in that. Thank you. Oh, that scared uh, that that scared me to death. Oh, near the end when when I had to come up with different names for Poirot. <laughs> it, wasn't, <yeah. laughs> it wasn't. T- it would get progressively more ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it 
it wasn't technically improv because I did sort of like have to try to work out a list of ideas, you know, like a, for each night. But yeah. Right. Oh, but it's a ball. I mean, that's what I remember about it. Boy, she's, she's really kind of confident about this. This is great. You know? Oh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, so so this play we did again. It was it was uh, it was just a little side thing that we wanted to do. We just thought it was this funny little idea. And we rented out this theater, and it became huge. It, yeah. it became like, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was uh, way bigger than I had ever imagined it would be. It was uh, just to give you an idea. Everyone in the play uh, is a celebrity. Like uh, we all played celebrities, mm-hmm. and uh, I played Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. <laughs> which if you. If you look at my headshot or whatever that Christine is going to post, you'll you'll see what uh, how ridiculous that uh, that notion is. But uh, but but we were uh, to, to my point. We were looking. We needed, we needed you know twelve or thirteen actors to fill out these roles, and I wound up casting a lot of people that I had met in my uh, days of uh, doing bad theater in New York City, but also about four or five. Niagara University alumni were in this also. Ms. Wisner, Sean Shealy, Jalan Dugan, Dennis was uh, stage manager. So it kind of all came together, you know, it all came around. But this thing thing took off and ran off Broadway. We got got an off Broadway contract with it. And it ran for about two years in New York City. Wow, nice. And yeah, we brought it out to Los Angeles for. Of the show, yeah, it just opened up some doors and stuff. So yeah, I didn't realize it had it was it had uh, taken that path that it was that you know that had success, some success around it. I remember hearing about it, and I knew yeah. I knew it was good. You know, I mean, but I yeah, thought, yeah that's great. Yeah, and, and you know, again, uh, one of the things I'm most proud about it was that like you know, the leads were NU students, and you alumni, and they were freaking hysterical. Right. It totally made, it, you know, it, it made me proud in front of my other non-act friends there uh, to show them, you know, kind of uh, what what NU was all about, you know. So yes. Uh, so right around that time, though, is when I when I made the move to Los Angeles and stayed there for 15 years. And I got an agent out there. So I got I got an eight now. When you move out to Los Angeles, pilots, you kind of have to have an agent. Yeah. Or at so least, how did you tell us how you got your agent? Sure, sure. By, by the way, pilot season kind of does or doesn't exist any longer. Yeah. Um, or it doesn't. It's not as important as it was. Mm-hmm. You know, being in Los Angeles for those four or five months is not the most important thing anymore. Well, now, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's still there's still that focused time period for certain yeah. networks, but because of cable and. And so yep. much production work happening in other ways. It, really, it's all year round. You have the opportunity yep. to potentially audition for our pilots and things like that, right? Yeah, you could you could audition for a pilot in Arizona and mail it. In, you know, uh, it'll be taken. It'll be looked at. You know, it'll it'll be considered. Yep. And that never that's that's a that's a news. But I, so I think, I think, uh, I remember I moved to Los Angeles in like January. That November or December, I think I had gone out to Los Angeles and met with an agent 
who my manager had set me up with. Uh, so when I landed in Los Angeles for pilot season, I had an agent who, within about two months, quit the business. Oh, <laughs> what? So that was a great, that was just a great welcome to LA story. You know. Was this like they were they were doing it out of the back of their minivan, or, or was it a real a real agency and they just happened no. to move on at that point? <laughs> it's a real agency. I think they're selling aluminum siding now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, yeah. If I, if I can't laugh at it, I cry. Totally. Yeah. So so, what did you do? What did you do with that? <laughs> My God, uh, what did I do? I think I kept drinking. That's what I kept doing. Okay. <laughs> uh, I had another Budweiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, uh, what did I do? You know, uh, all right, well, here's another thing. Like, you know, I said earlier that I was lucky to have ambitious friends at the time. Yes. Uh, I had a roommate. My roommate was a guy who was in the Who Killed Woody Allen. We both moved out to Los Angeles together. And his name is Mike Friedman. He's a really great actor. He's used to this day to be a great friend of mine. He moved out to Los Angeles at the same time. And he had no agent, no manager, no nothing. And I would, I would, you know, I would wake up at 10.30 in the morning, like walk out to the living room, make a cup of coffee. And Mike would have been up for five hours already, emailing agents, emailing Producers emailing directors, calling people he knew, really working the industry and working all his friends. And I was, you know, amazed by this. And this guy, uh, very quickly, he had nothing, nothing at all. And very quickly, he got a great agent in the middle of pilot season, by the way, which is something you never hear of. Uh, and he was going out for stuff. And... I said, boy, you know, if I could work half as hard as this guy, um, you know, if I, if I don't work half as hard as this guy, I'm a moron. Mm-hmm. So he continues to be kind of an inspiration for me. Like, uh, you really gotta, you really gotta work. You might, Mike would wake up and do bangers hours with the, the, you know, the admin part of his career. And, uh, so that's what I did. I, I mean, I think I, I did what he did, which was I found a list of agents in Los Angeles, and I crossed off the ones that I thought I had absolutely no chance of even meeting, and I crossed off ones that I thought were too small for me, and it wound up being like a list of, say, 20 or so, and this was before the days of emailing uh, reels from YouTube. This was like you put a DVD or a VHS in an envelope and mail it, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I would spend every day, I would do like five of them. Every day I would walk to the, you know, write cover letters. I'd go print them out in King Codes or whatever. I would go drive and get my videotapes duplicated. I would stuff envelopes and I would walk to the mailbox. And if I was able to put five in the mailbox at the end of the day, I felt like I had a great day, you know. And I did this for probably a month or so. And finally, I got a phone call. Some some other agency wanted to work with me, so I signed with them. Now, but this is, you know, I went through a few agents before I found a good one. 
Uh, it's all about back then and to this day. It's all about like banker hours. You know, you have to put your you have to put your work into it. Uh, you can't kind of slack uh, because you know the industry moves fast and they'll forget about you easily. You know, no one's gonna. I, I learned pretty quickly that uh, no one was going to be busting my door down, dying to hire me. You know, I had to kind of, I had to get in their face, and I had to make myself visible to them. You know. Yeah. So was this agent, um, was it a commercial agent, or um, what did they represent you for? I think, I think when, I, when I moved to Los Angeles, I had already had, a lot of times, uh, like an agency in New York will have a Los Angeles office right. as well. Right. So when I moved to Los Angeles, I believe my agency that I had commercially in New York had an office in Los Angeles. So I was represented commercially right away when I was out there. And fortunately, I was able to kind of do commercials uh, in Los Angeles as well. So I was able to make a little money doing that. And my first few years in L.A., I was able to sort of sustain myself just on commercials, which is great. Not particularly, I wasn't living a particularly lavish lifestyle, but, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was able to eat and pay rent and buy a six-pack. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, but then, so, but yeah, but these other agents... Yeah, there's two different types of agents. Uh, there's commercial agents, and then there's film and television agents. In Los Angeles, that's known as theatrical agents. Mm-hmm. In New York, it's known as a legit agent. Um, but it's the same thing. And, um, you know, the, you need, you, you gotta, you gotta kind of have a, okay, this is all kind of changing, and there's different, um, different ways to look at it, but, you know, if you want to get into TV shows and stuff, you need the actual or legit agents. Back then, you really did more so than you do now. But um, but I was able to get get one after the one that got out of business, and I was with them for I think a year, and then I got another one. I kind of floundered around there for a couple of years in Los Angeles, um, but I got a really good agent, and I was able to start. Booking TV work, uh, uh, so that was good, and uh, and uh, I was able to do it. But, but I'll tell you. So actually, again, going back to what I said about um, uh, meeting people or networking. When, when I first moved out there, a friend of ours, uh, we went to college with Bob Demore, mm-hmm. uh was uh, an assistant director on, he still is an assistant director on very big movies, TV shows. Uh, he was working on uh, Spider-Man 2, and uh, this is one with Tony McGuire from you know, years ago. Yeah, so this, uh, this, this, uh, this I actually love, because it was a, that was a special moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the way, this is how our lives affect other people, right? So I'm sure, you know, I, I want to hear how you got that, but, um, yeah. but it, it was, I had just moved to, um, the Sedona, Arizona area because mm-hmm. it was like 2004 
like most yeah. of the Sedona, Arizona area. And um, again, I was, uh, we were kind of talking about this off the air, but I wasn't sure that was the right move for me. And it was, you know, related to, you know, family obligations as opposed to focusing on what I wanted my career to look like. And I remember we went into the movie theater to see Spider-Man 2 and I'm sitting there and then all of a sudden there you are on the screen and I just like was paralyzed for a second, you know? <laughs> and I remember being like so like my heart just like opened. Like I was so like I was so excited for you. I was so I, I was I couldn't believe I was like having this moment, like I, you know, somebody I knew, somebody I, you know, that I always, um, cared for and, and was, and it was like, and I remember like, I think after I left the theater, I remember be like crying or something, oh <laughs> like, my God. but it was so like, you know, because partly it was also about what's possible, you know, right. and, and how that can, like you were saying when you were, yeah, validating. And when you were in New York and you were feeling like, you know, you, you, you never thought in a million years you'd get to that point or how, or how do you make that leap, you know? And, and what does that really look like practically versus what we think it looks like when we're having fantasies, you know, about what we, we think that we want our work life to look like. And, um, but it, it was just like a, I know it seems overly dramatic, but it was just like, Oh, it's so nice to hear. Yeah. yeah really, it was yeah. really lovely and very memorable for me. I'll never forget that, you know, coming out and oh. looking at the Red Rocks and being like, oh, my God, Brendan, you know. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and it was great. I mean, it got my dad to go see a Spider-Man movie. Right. <laughs> like, that's a nice moment where he, he called me, you know, to be able to show everybody that it's working out, kind of. And exactly. It's just it's great. When the, our parents and people who aren't in the business, they just don't, they don't get, you know, how... What it, right. how difficult it is and how it really looks and sometimes what success looks like for us they they still don't right. get it because unless you're on the big screen or you're on their TV yeah. they just don't yeah. quite it doesn't connect for them you know in the same right. way but yeah it's, it's, it's tough to understand it, 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 I mean I don't even understand it sometimes <laughs> right <laughs> but, but if you want if you want to know like the reality of the whole thing yes it, yeah how do you get, actually get the job it's, it's even cooler. I mean, it's like, it's even more validating. And it's not about me at all. It's, it's about, uh, I, I had auditioned for that. A lot of times when it's like a movie like that and they'll have like 20, 20 smaller roles in the movie, speaking roles in the movie, they'll bring someone in and they'll have him read for a few of them. So I read for that little cop role. I read for like a pedestrian saying something to Spider-Man, you know, like or a, a guy in the elevator, I think it's Spider-Man or something like that. Yes, like yeah. I own that on DVD. I think I have it in the living room. I'll have to watch it later. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. One time, one time, it was a couple of years after that came out, uh, I was at a Thanksgiving party in Los Angeles with like 20 people. We were all friends and stuff. And that movie just happened to come on TV after dinner and we were all sitting around and they're like, oh, it's coming up, you know, or it's coming up. And the whole party's watching and it was like the TBS version oh, of it. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they had cut it out. They yes. had cut my scene out from the uh, TV version. And boy, I took a lot of crap for that one, point, you know. Yeah. Like, so funny. But so, so I go in and I audition for it and I don't hear, you know, I don't hear anything, which is not uncommon and I kind of forget about it. And then um, 
our friend, Bob DeLuna, gets the job working on the movie as an assistant director. And they had cast that role, which they do a lot of times, with, like, a funny guy on the crew. Mm-hmm. So give it, give him a role, you know? Yeah, and it's easy. And they're right there already, and you can just, yeah. Exactly, they're right there. Put him in a cop outfit, and we'll all, we'll all have a laugh, and, you know. The role isn't exactly, like, heavy lifting. You don't need Lawrence Olivier to do this. So, you know, <laughs> throw him up there. So whatever happened was that guy got sick or something like that or something. It's kind of like the guy who didn't want to cut his mullet, you know. Yeah. He, he got sick or something or he had to, wife was having a kid or something. And it was, I think, a night or two before they were going to shoot it. They didn't know what to do. And Bob, our friend, said, you know, my, my good friend Brendan auditions for this. Uh, I think he said this to the director, Sam Rainey. Mm-hmm. And uh, he'd be perfect at it. And so they called casting, and they found my tape. And he looked at it, or the producers looked at it, and they said, yeah, bring him in. We'll do it. We'll be fine. And so the next thing you know, I'm, uh, I'm on set in Spider-Man, you know. Oh. So wait, was that another, like, you found out about it, like, the night before kind of thing, or three days before? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I, oh I think God. so. And I think I dropped all my plans. You yeah, know? <laughs> I would but, hope but, so. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, none of this happens um, if it weren't for good relationships and good people Yeah. Uh, that I had known. That my happens to be one of my best friends, continues to be. Um, and he actually got me another job. Has been a real sort of advocate for me and my acting. He's tried to help me quite a bit, which I'll eternally love him for. But uh, yeah. but it's that's what I'm telling you. That the older I get, and the more years I throw on the fire, um, it's all about being successful. Is largely about um, relationships that you cultivate with people and. Another, if I had to give anybody advice, it would be to get involved with a group of people in whatever city you're in. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about if you're sort of very ambitious and want to be in these big shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or get involved in a, an improv class like we were talking about, or get involved in a theater company, or keep in contact with the people that you went to college with in your acting group. Uh, because one of those people, two of those people, are going to be able to um, help you. Um, and you have to be open to helping other people, uh, like you do with your podcast and your, you know, your website and everything. But it's, you know, it, what I'm trying to say basically is it's all who you know. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it really helps to have a big network of, of, of people. Yeah. Uh, and so. again, like, you know, again, like relationships, like, but genuine relationships, not, you know, I want to make sure I know so-and-so because they might be able to get me something, but you just, yeah. you know, you don't know how, you know, just being a good person in the world and staying connected um, yeah. can help you. Now, Chris, Christina, there is room for what you just said, though. I mean, there is room for, like, a business relationship. Like, as long as you don't think about it, right. you know, it's, you know, people... There's nothing wrong with something I've also learned as the years go by is that it's a business and people um, have to be reminded of who you are and you have to reach out to people. And 
sometimes it's not the best idea to assume some sort of familiarity. Sometimes you don't need to do that. Sometimes, sometimes if you act like, you know, again, this is all like business stuff. This is all the show business crap. Yeah. But like, if you act peer to peer with people, they'll respond in kind. You know, sometimes it's okay to act like a business contemporary with someone if they're a big name or something like that because they appreciate that. Does that make sense? Yes. I, I studied for, for about five years, uh, and I would still be there if I was still living in Los Angeles at a school called the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and they, they um, you know, it's a whole other podcast, but they have something called their, their, their philosophy is acting, having a career that's gays, which is acting attitude administration. And the attitude part, you were just talking about, um, you know, is everything people do, people want to work with? You don't have to be their best friend. You have to be like a normal person for them to want to work with you. Yeah. You know, yep. Life life short and kind of the business is small, and your attitude has to kind of be as on point as your acting. Yeah, you have a lousy attitude. <laughs> That's the end of episode 14 featuring Brendan Connor. You can find out more about Brendan and other cool stuff we mentioned by going to the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and I'd appreciate a positive review on Apple Podcasts. This podcast is produced, directed, edited, and much more by me. That's right. Solo show at this point. I do all of it. (laughs) So, So please be forgiving if you hear anything that you think could use some improvement or you would like to see go in a different direction or if you have questions or things you'd like uh, me to ask future guests, please contact me through the website and I appreciate your support. Please join the community by also liking us on Facebook and by following me on Twitter at Artist Dreams. That's at Artist underscore Dreams. I'm Christina Kipper and thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to Living the Dream Acting, the podcast. Have questions or a story you'd like to share? We'd love to hear from you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit our website at livingthedreamacting.com.